This is Heather Meckes, Director of Discipleship at CRC, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you, encourages you, and allows you to see how God is moving in and around you. If you would like to check out more resources, go to coopersvillereform.com. Enjoy the message. For your sacrifice and your service to your families, we love you and we appreciate you. And I also understand that, as our sister Heather Mecca shared, um, for many, this is a day that could be very hard for a variety of reasons for women. And we want to know that we love you as well and we grieve with you. Would you join me as uh, we get ready to open up God's word together in prayer? Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your kindness. We thank you for your immeasurable love that you have poured out on us through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of motherhood by which none of us would be here today if it wasn't for that. This is how you chose to bring forth life. God, we love you. We love our mothers and we love the mothers in whom we have had contact with and community with and relationship with. God, I just pray for a special blessing over them and may your word come forth today clear and powerful through your Holy Spirit. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you guys heard about the big housing crash that we're supposed to uh, be going through right now? Me me either, um, because I ain't seeing it, right? Uh, I'm just not seeing it, actually. Um, I did some research year over year out here in the Grand Rapids area. Home prices are still up over 10% from 2022 to 2023 with interest rates still climbing. The average home in Grand Rapids is going for $260,000. That's $190 per square foot currently. We have a couple who we dearly love, who are moving from the Grand or from the Kansas area to the Grand Rapids area. And because we know what it's like um, to move from one state to the other, um, we thought we would help them in their pursuit for a new home. And so I reached out to them and I said, hey, Drew and Kate is their name. I said, Drew and Kate, we would love Um, To walk through homes with your realtor, if you would like us to, we have good friends Karen and Jim Hall who did that for us, and that was really special um, for us, and and if it wasn't for them, I don't know if we'd be in the home that we are in today, and so last Sunday, I went out to the southeast side and the southwest side of Grand Rapids to check out a couple of homes that they were interested in that was within their price range. Here's one of the homes, I got a picture of it. It's a beautiful home, nice little quaint home, great, be a great first home for any young couple. They're newly married within the last couple of years. And uh, about, uh, I think it was 1,200 square feet, a little over 1,200 square feet, Uh, has a basement that I can't fully stand up in, which is normal, (laughs) pretty normal. Um, And uh, has a, has a nice little master 
master bedroom and a master bath connected to it, but again, it's kind of, it's in the attic area, and so I can stand up under some of it, but it was a beautiful home, so I'm FaceTiming them, and I'm just sharing some of the really cool parts of the home, a fenced-in backyard, small old backyard, but fenced-in, a garage, two-stall garage, not connected to the home, but to the back right there in that picture, and so I'm like, hey, this is a great home. It was on the market for 229. I said, well, you know, I'd probably assume that there's going to be a lot of people looking at this home and interested. And so my good advice to them was just be, was really what their realtor said, just give it your best shot. Okay. And they did. But the problem was so did 30 other families, 30 plus bids on this home in Grand Rapids, the Southeast side of Grand Rapids. And believe it or not, the home went for over 70000 over the asking. 300 dollars They were like, they text me the next day, they were like, um, yeah, I think we'll live in a box, probably. It's a good option. It's insane. But why are these home prices so high? One word, value value. And here's what I mean by that. The value we place on something is revealed by what we are willing to give up for it. So even though the average interest rate right now for the average family is at 7% for a 30-year fixed mortgage, people are still willing to give an arm, a leg, a lung, a spleen, kidney, for the homes. Welcome to our last week of this series called Ponder, where we are looking at the person and the power and the teachings of Jesus Christ, perhaps in, in the view that the disciples would have been looking back after his ascension. In. And so today we're going to look and we're just going to jump right into it. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. If you have a blue pew Bible somewhere, it's on page 795. If you'd like to follow along, we're looking this morning at the two shortest parables in all of the scriptures that Jesus taught on. The two shortest parables, believe it or not. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46, just because they're the two shortest parables doesn't mean it's going to be the shortest sermon. So we got to get going here. Verse 44 reads like this. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, can you guys say in his joy, in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. You can leave that up here for a moment. In this first story, in this parable, we find a man who stumbles on a treasure randomly. We have no idea, we have no context on why he was at the field. We don't know how he got to the treasure. Perhaps he was walking his dog Little Joey, I don't know if we named dogs Joey, but it's the first name that came to mind. And Joey started digging, and there you go, there, there's a treasure. We don't exactly know how this man in this story stumbled upon this treasure in this field, but here he is. He's got a field here, and he's got a treasure. 
And, and he's also a pretty sketchy man because instead of telling the owner of the field there's a treasure in your field, what does he do? He, um, he hid it and then he purchased the field. So what does that tell you theologically? The only thing I can come up with is Jesus dies for sketchy people. Like Jesus dies for sketchy people, like this man who found a treasure in a field that originally wasn't his and ended up hiding it again only to purchase the field so he could have the treasure, okay? He dies for sketchy people. This is actually a story that we read it today and we say, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that would never happen. Well, in this day and age and in this context, this was a story that people dreamt of a lot. It was very common, some of y'all have great-grandparents perhaps, or grandparents, who would dig and, and have money dug up. I've heard stories of money being hidden in places and after they pass away, the family's like, ah, man, we gotta spend at least three days just searching for the money. This is no different. Here in ancient Israel, people would often, if they were being attacked especially, they would often dig a hole in their property or on their property and place their treasure in the hole. And then sometimes what would happen is they would die and they had told no one. And so now they have a lot of wealth underground. And so people, when they're hearing this, and Jesus, if you read early in Matthew 13, he's teaching from inside a boat and people are sitting on the shore. And so Jesus is teaching this, and people are leaning in because they're like, I had a dream like this before, <laughs> where I stumbled upon a treasure, and I made it. Oh. And so they're leaning in to hear this parable because it connects with them. Now the next two verses, verses 45 and, and 46, again, very similar parable here, back to back intentionally. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The second parable makes the same point with a few small minor distinctions. This time, the one who discovers a treasure or the pearl of great price is not a blue-collar man, worker, it's a person who made a living by searching for such pearls. He's described as a merchant. And you have to understand, there were merchants in this day and age, and it was a very dangerous job. They did not have the scuba equipment that you and I possess. Maybe you don't possess it, I don't possess it. Um, but th they don't have access to that. What they would do is they would literally tie rocks, large stones, to their body, merchants would, and they would go in the sea. And then if they found something, as they are literally weighed down into the bottom of the sea, they would then cut the, the ropes so then they would float to the surface. People died, as you could imagine, due to this. It was a very dangerous job. But in this story, this merchant finds a pearl of such great price. And in finding that, what does he do? He sells everything he has in order to attain it, in order to possess it. And so 
two distinctively different people from different socioeconomical backgrounds, perhaps, but they both encounter something of so much value that it makes everything else in their lives look worthless by comparison. So in light of these three verses, what I'm going to do quickly is I'm gonna ask three questions. Three popular questions I think would just be drawn from this text naturally. And in these questions, I'm going to seek to answer them with brevity. So we're gonna look at these questions and we're gonna draw more from the text. The first question I wanna ask is, in terms of the kingdom of heaven, which could be synonymous with the gospel, in terms of the kingdom of heaven, how do people miss it? Have you ever thought about that question? Like, how do people miss it? I think one of the ways in which people miss the treasure that is the kingdom of heaven, the treasure that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is they often believe the message is just too simplistic. It can't be that simple, right? Just trust and believe in Jesus and I'll be saved. It's gotta be more than that, right? And so I think we tend to overcomplicate things. Trust and believe cannot simply be the message because people assume, they're like, well then, if it's that simple, even a child can embrace it. Even a child can believe it. And you're right to think that because children do believe it and Jesus actually shared this about children in Matthew 18, two through four, which is really about us. Read these verses with me in Matthew 18. He called a little child to him, Jesus did, and he placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become speaking to adults, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Some people miss it because we simply overcomplicate it. In a world where we're discovering quantum physics and thermodynamics and we're trying to get life on Mars, I don't know what Elon's doing, but Elon's up to something, trying to get us in Mars, and we might die, he says, but it's gonna be worth it, and eventually I'm like, mm, not, not me, boss. I'm gonna, not me, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see my little girl uh, above 12 years old. I'm not going to Mars. But, but the question is, is it that simple? We've developed so much as a society that it seems like there's no way attaining salvation, attaining the gift of the kingdom of heaven can be this simple, but it really is that simple. And God chooses to offer this gift, this treasure to ordinary people like you and I. Have you ever ever thought to yourself, God, why don't you just save the most influential people in the world? The people who look the greatest, who think the greatest, who are the movers and shakers, those who are most influential in our world, why don't you save them? We're already, as ordinary people, attracted to them. 
So if you save them, then we'll be attracted to them and we'll follow them. And then we'll believe in your gospel. Well, why don't, why don't you do that, God? Well, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 through 29, that I think is really on par with this discussion. Brothers and sisters, he says, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So how do people miss it? We simply overcomplicate it and we assume that there's no way God would want to use ordinary people like us to do his work, but the reality is he loves to use ordinary people like you and I to accomplish his work. Here's the second question. What does the kingdom life look like? What does the kingdom life look like? The three most important words in this parable, I believe, are the words that I had you share with me. In his joy. So although these two people lost everything that they owned to obtain this one treasure or this pearl of great price, even though they lost everything, they went in joy to sell the rest of what they possessed in order to obtain this great treasure. Simply put, I would say the kingdom life is the joyful life. It's the life of true joy. True joy. Let me ask you a question. Is that a metaphor that describes your life in Christ? the joy-filled life. Does that describe your life in Christ? Does that describe my life in Christ? When we read these parables, do we say, yeah, I, I can relate with that. No, you didn't sell everything you had to possess it because we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. But in a sense, you could say, yeah, I've sacrificed a whole lot. I've given my heart, I've given my time, I've given my talents, I've given my treasure, given my finances to the mission of Christ. And I can, I can see this and I can attest to the fact that it is the joy-filled life. Can you relate with this? Too often our image of discovering the kingdom of heaven is not like discovering a treasure or a pearl of great price, but I would say it's often like discovering a laundry list of rules that we have to live by. Or as some foolish husbands would say, it's like a ball and chain as they relate that to their marriage. All oh, the old ball and chains after it again. Some of us, we see our relationship with Christ like that. It's much better, maybe some would say, than the alternative, so of course I chose it. 
Christianity is the right thing to do, so it's better than the alternative, which is an eternity in hell. So yeah, that's the direction I went. It's the direction I chose for me and my family. But that is actually blasphemy. That's not the gospel at all. A laundry list of rules and expectations that we just have to work to keep that's not it. That's the foolish life. That's not the joy-filled life. That's the truncated version of religion that so many people can be stuck in. But that's not the gospel that Jesus presents here. That's a false gospel. And it shows how little we understand about the God we serve and the creation that God made and gave to us to steward and cultivate. There was a, a prom happening last week in Coopersville for the Coopersville seniors and I think juniors are invited to it as well. But there was a prom that was happening. And maybe you know this, maybe you don't. I don't know if it made the Coopersville Observer. It's kind of embarrassing. Um, but what happened is the location, the building that they had rented out um, was too small. Supposedly the occupancy was only supposed to be 200, but there were 400 kids. Not sure how that happens. If you're a decision maker at Coopersville that made that happen, I'm sorry for calling you out now. I don't know how that happened, but it happened. And what happened was not long into the prom, they, I guess the kids, the new thing of dancing is just jumping. So when you don't know how to dance, you just jump up and down. And that's what they were doing. I don't know how to dance it. So I'm like, I could relate with that. And so they were just jumping up and down, supposedly, the Coopersville graduates or soon-to-be graduates, many of them. And they said the floor started breaking underneath them. The floor just started breaking. They were having so much fun that the floor beneath them started to break. Boy, when one of our elders, Rachel Cunning, shared that story with me, I said, I got, I got to use that as soon as possible. <laughs> Guys, do you see the difference? in a dead religion opposed to the kingdom life. There's so much joy in the house, the floor is breaking underneath them. There's so much excitement with the people of God, you just can't contain them in one building. There's so many glorious things happening, they're just, they're just so excited. They're just so grateful for what God is doing and for what God is accomplishing. They live open-handed. The floor is breaking beneath them. Can I say this? As a believer, you should be the life of the party. Now, I'm not here co-signing debauchery, drunkenness, or any of that foolishness. But I'm saying in terms of life, I think a rock star theologian once said, right? Life is a party or something. Well, not necessarily, but the Christian life is the joy-filled life. And so if you want to 
correlate that to a party, we'll probably get there somehow. But I think Christians need to be filled with a little more joy once they understand the freedom of the gospel that they live in. This is the treasure that you have been gifted with. A very popular C.S. Lewis quote from his book, The Weight of Glory, says this. Just listen to these words from C.S. Lewis. The problem is not that our pleasures are too great, Lewis says. He says, but too small, too narrow, too restrictive, too limited by our finite imaginations and experiences. He goes on to say, if we consider the unblushing promise of reward and staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to play in the mud because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis writes, The kingdom life is a life of joy. It's a life of adventure. It's a life of heavenly risk-taking. It's a life of leveraging our resources, our skills, our abilities as ordinary people in saying, this is what I got, Lord. Would you use it? And his answer 100% of the time is, yes, child. I will use it. This is what the kingdom life looks like. Now let me ask this third question as we conclude. You might be thinking, well, what does this require of me? What is he calling me to? What does this require of me? It requires your all. It requires everything. Full submission to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. The truth is you're gonna be enslaved either to your sin or you're gonna be submitted to your Lord. There are really two options. You're either gonna be a slave to your own sin and your own sinful desires or you're gonna be fully submitted to your Lord and you will be living the joy-filled life. But this is why it's so much easier to just be religious. Then we can just give a certain amount, check the box, come to church on most Sundays, check the box, volunteer just enough to make sure we're involved enough, check the box. Religion is where you get the minimum requirement to pay God off and keep him from being against you. That's not joy. That's a false gospel. And many have bought into it. Many are living in that. And they wonder why when they read these passages, why can't I relate with this? Why doesn't my heart leap for God in the kingdom of heaven like this? Why don't I get excited about the mission like this? And can, can I just confess to you, man, I've been wrestling with this in this season as well. 
went out Thursday, said, man, I need to get out of the office for a little bit, and I need to take a day and just be outside. It happened to be one of the nicest days of the year. It's pretty warm, about 83 degrees. And I went out with one of our elders, and I went golfing. And what happens is when you go golfing, this hasn't really ever happened to me. I don't go golfing all that much, I guess. But if you only go with a pair, they'll put another pair with you. And I'm like, whoa, okay, and that's, that's, okay, there's four of us now. So we meet this sweet couple, upper 60s. And so we're talking, and she, just the woman, it's a husband and wife couple, they're retired, they're members of this particular golf course, and they're just the sweetest couple. And she's so excited, showing us all the pictures of her kids and everything. And I'm just like, oh, look at this mom, you know, on the week leading up to Mother's Day, just so excited. And you know, I started studying this text deeper. And we had 18 holes, and it was great, and it was cordial, and it was awesome. And we shared a little bit about ourselves and listened a lot um, about this family, and and that was good. But I thought to myself, and I was so convicted, even early this morning, meditating on this text. I didn't consider sharing Jesus once with them. It didn't even cross my mind, if I can be honest with you. They knew my occupation. I didn't ask them questions, probing questions that would maybe get the ball rolling a bit. I didn't think about any of that. I just thought about how poorly I was playing and how upset I was at the fact I was shanking enough shots and shot about a 115. Never mind that. I don't want to talk about that. But I thought to myself, what is wrong with you? Wake up, sleeper. Wake up. People, I don't, I don't know where they're going. What does this require of me? It requires everything. It requires everything. This is the joy-filled life that we get to live in that we get to walk in and sometimes we go about our day to day and we can really care less about where other people are at. And I'm sharing that with you to just so you know, look, you're not the only one. I'm here with you, struggling and putting along myself, no pun intended. This requires everything. I'll still never forget a woman in this service after our scent series said, I shared Christ for the first time with someone and they're really considering it and I got to pray with them. She was so filled with joy She looked at me with tears in her eyes. She goes, is this what it's like? Is this what I've been missing? I wanna do it again. I want more of it. That's it. 
Because when you've experienced it, when you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, when you've seen that the Lord is inviting ordinary people like you and I into his mission field to share the treasure with people, when you get to experience that, you will forsake all in, in your joy to be about that. You'll forsake the fact that your golf game is wretched and you have people created in the image of God who are not there by circumstance or happenstance. They're there because God put them there in his divine plan to come in contact with you. And yes, you'll miss it, like I missed it on that particular Thursday, but there's gonna be more opportunities. You get to be invited back. And the Lord is gracious. He's slow to anger. He's compassionate. He's abounding in steadfast love. And he yearns to use you. And he yearns to invite you into this kingdom life, this joy-filled life. Now the question is, will you join him? Throw out the rule book, not the Bible, but the rule book, the checkbox. Throw that out and join him in this life. He longs to use each one of you. Will you join him? Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you so much for your grace and mercy without which I cannot stand up here because all too often my heart is cold in areas where it should be warmer. And so, Father, I just pray you'd stir my heart up and I pray you'd stir our, our hearts up here in this sanctuary of all those here and maybe those watching online that you would stir our hearts up, that we would join your party, that we would join your celebration, and that we would discover with new eyes your treasure. Oh, Father, would you give us eyes to see how great your treasure is, how great the kingdom of heaven is and the gift that we've been invited to. God, I love you. I thank you for these people. And I pray, Father, that you would move in our hearts. Perhaps we felt like, well, it's, it's too late. Been in the church 60 plus years, 50 years. Maybe it's too late for me. I want you to know now, I feel God just sharing. It's not too late. It's not too late. There is grace for you. There is mercy for you. There is compassion for our God, you, Lord are abounding in steadfast love from generation to generation. We love you. We worship you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Before we sing our last song, I just want you to know, perhaps God is calling you to renew your commitment. Perhaps your heart is simply crying out for more. You just want more. We'd love to pray with you. So there will be people stationed here. I'll ask our prayer partners if we could stay away from this corner as people after service may want to get a picture, uh, mothers with their families. Uh, we have a spot there for you to get a picture. But any other corner, uh, we would love to pray with you 
and to walk with you. Thank you. Thanks, Terry. Thank you, Pastor John. This certainly should be a joy-filled morning, shouldn't it? Baptism, professions of faith, celebrating the ladies in our lives, lots of reasons to be joyful. So I invite you to stand at this